You're listening to Understanding the Law Radio, your business success and legal information station. Well, hi, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Understanding the Law Radio. I'm your host, Peter Lamont. Today, we're going to look at a recent Supreme Court decision concerning a clothing brand called F-U-C-T. And you know what that sounds like, and it's done deliberately. Um, The long version of the abbreviation is Friends You Can't Trust, and it's a clothing brand that was founded in L.A. uh, in 1990. So it's been around for a long time by American artist and designer Eric Brunetti and his partner at the time, a professional skateboarder. I'm sure I'm going to murder his name, but it's Natas Kupas. And uh, Brunetti has been quoted as saying that the name F-U-C-T was used because it's a homophone for the very popular expletive, and he wanted people to question its pronunciation. So um, sort of an artistic thing, sort of a in-your-face, well, look at this, and it makes people stop and, and take notice. And the brand has been rather successful. I mean, they've been around since 1990. And... Over the last few years, uh, stemming back to around 2013, Brunetti had filed for United States trademark protection of the name brand F-U-C-T. And of course, what do you think would happen? But the Supreme Court initially denied his application. They said, you know, um, our federal trademark laws we don't have to trademark anything that we determine um, based off of a reasonable basis to be anything immoral or scandalous. That's how the statute reads, immoral or scandalous, and that does not necessarily need uh, or, or can't be trademarked. And that's what they had based their initial ruling on was this, you know, scandalous material and everyone knew, as a matter of fact, in some of the early hearings in the lower courts, um, the owners of the brand, of the company, their attorneys tried to argue that, you know, it doesn't mean what you think it means. It's not a play on that word. It's friends you can't trust. And they tried to explain it. And one of the judges at one point said, come on, are you kidding me? We, we know what you're trying to say. We know what this means. We know what this uh, is supposed to stand for. So, you know, don't, don't try to pull one over on us. It is what it is, and we're going to deny that trademark application. So the, the normal process when uh, you believe that there's an error in law, and in this case his attorneys, Brunetti's attorneys, said, you know, this doesn't seem right. There's, something's wrong here uh, with the way that the statute is prohibiting a brand like F-U-C-T from being able to trademark itself um, we could name our company anything we want. We don't understand why, you know, you, the, the court, says that this is immoral and scandalous. So uh, it went up to the, the appellate division, then ultimately to the Supreme Court. And in a recent Supreme Court decision, the Supreme Court ruled that F-U-C-T can be trademarked. They said that it's it's so broad that the uh, the statutory language uh, covering a universe of immoral and scandalous um, that it actually violates your First Amendment freedom of speech because 
where do you draw the line? Who is to say what's immoral and scandalous? Um, there's nothing in the statute that says that you can't trademark anything lewd or sexually explicit or profane. It just simply says immoral or scandalous. And so that's what it really hinged on. And that this is simplifying this case because I mean, we could talk about this for an hour. And I just want to bring to light um, this change because with the Supreme Court's ruling allowing F-U-C-T to be trademarked, Oh, and by the way, if you go on their website, they have a really fun <laughs> shirt. It says, uh, I think it says, I-F-U-C-T, the Supreme Court. So it's kind of funny. Um, but anyway, Supreme Court's ruling now opens the door for other companies who might have a you know questionable mark that would not have been permitted to be trademarked in the past all of a sudden, to open the door, I was reading an article last night uh, where there's a company called Thunder Pussy, and they're likely seeking trademark approvement or approval. Uh, and with this Supreme Court ruling, I would, you know, assume or guess that they're going to get it. So this is a this is a major victory for for FUCT. Um, but also, it is a real, I think, turning point in trademark law. That's why I think this is such an important uh, decision, because you're looking at a statute that's been written a while ago. You know, trademark law doesn't change all that often. No law really changes all that often. You know, municipal laws things like um, wage and hour, those things that you're used to seeing in the mainstream media. Yes, you know, maybe uh, in your town, the parking regulations change and they seem to be changing all the time. But large, big scale laws, laws concerning negligence, or in this case, trademark law, it's far more difficult to really institute a change. And so without changing the law, the way that the court system because now remember, if you go back way, way back in your, your education to um, political science or history and you talk about the different branches of government, legislative, executive, and judicial, the legislative branch, they're the ones that make the laws. So how does a court handle and, and theoretically change a law like this trademark uh, law? Well, they don't actually change the law. The law stays the same. The law is going to cover this quote-unquote universe of immoral and scandalous marks, and it's still going to prohibit that type of mark from being approved. But the court system can interpret and determine what is fair and unfair on a case-by-case -case basis. And so the judicial system, this is the whole checks and balances between the three branches of government, the judicial system can look at this and say, hey, we don't think that in this context, this application of the law is fair. In fact, we think it violates your First Amendment rights, and we're going to make a determination and an interpretation of what that statute means, should cover, and is legally permitted to cover. And that's how case law, which is what this becomes, you know, the 
um, court's order, the decision on this case, becomes case law. And that case law can be used in future court cases by other parties to rely on. They can go back and they can say, Judge, in this case, the Supreme Court ruled ABCD, and therefore, in my case, you should interpret it the same way. That's how it works. That's how case law works. So the judicial system isn't changing the law. They're interpreting and determining what's legal and applicable to individual situations. So I just think that's a a fascinating little point if you have any interest in uh, how the government and the three branches work and and how you know the judicial system can have an impact on the legislative branch and and the the lawmaking part of our country. That being said, this is a victory for anyone who wants to try to file a trademark for something that you know, might not have been, uh, I don't want to say within the norm, but more on the fringe. I mean, you've all seen, you've walked down the boardwalk, uh, whether you're at the Jersey Shore or California or Florida, wherever, and you've seen those people wearing questionable shirts. And, you know, you look at it and you're like, oh, what does that shirt mean? Um, and you know what it means, but it's just variations of the words, and there's never been an issue with being able to manufacture those slogans, words, sayings on clothing. Um, that would clearly be a violation of, of your First Amendment rights. But there has always been this prohibition where you couldn't get it trademarked, but now you can. So that opens the door for other companies like this with creative, unique names that may have be you know double entendres or um, may sound like another word, to get a trademark. So that's a big win and a big change in trademark law. And one point I want to make, though, because this this sort of uh, topic leads to a whole host of questions that branch from this. And and that question is, okay, if this company is allowed, let's take F-U-C-T for a second. If this company is allowed to make clothing, with that name and those words on the shirt, which we clearly know they are. And now we know that they're permitted to trademark that brand, F-U-C-T. Does that mean that I can wear that clothing anywhere I want as a freedom, as a right, as an expression of myself? Can I wear that? And I want to talk in particular about private property places, such as places like Disney World. Now, I want to pick Disney World because um, I think it's really a good demonstration and example of of how this sort of can be trademarked, but not necessarily can be permissible everywhere. So Disney has a policy, right? First of all, the policy says you can't wear inappropriate clothing. You can't wear... um, as adults, costumes, you can't dress like a character. So they have a whole host of rules, and I'm not going to go through all of them. But bottom line is that they reserve the right to determine whether or not an article of clothing is um, insulting to an extreme degree. Not like, hey, you know, I'm with stupid. That's that's not what we're talking about. 
We're talking about things that are racially motivated. We're talking about hate speech. We're talking about inappropriate or vulgar um, words or sayings. They reserve the right to ask you to leave, to tell you that you can't wear that shirt in their park. They can actually tell you to do that. So how then does that all work hand in hand? I'm able to make F-U-C-T brand shirts. I'm able to get a trademark. I mean, the Supreme Court of the United States says, I can get a trademark on this. And now you, Walt Disney World, you're telling me that I can't come into your park with this shirt on, with this wording? Why? It's very simple. Disney is a private company, private brand, private property. They reserve the right to say what's appropriate and not appropriate. The same with your employer. You might be able to wear your F-U-C-T shirt, you know, anywhere you want, at home all the time, out at the store, out at the mall. But in certain places, you might have a policy in place that prohibits you from wearing it. So Walt Disney, now I don't know that Walt Disney actually would ban this, but I do know stories, and I have talked to people who have had um, less than this on their shirt, and they've been asked to change their shirt. And I think it's happened at Universal Studios as well. And it's their right, you know, if they deem something to be inappropriate or offensive in any way, they, they can ask you to remove it, or if you don't remove it, they can ask you to leave. Same with your employer. Like, you know, you have a dress down day on Friday, and let's say the employer says, you can wear in the summer T-shirts and jeans and shorts. It's okay. You come in with a shirt that says, you know, I-F-U-C-T, the Supreme Court, they might say to you, listen, that shirt's not appropriate. You've got to go home and change or take it off. And you can't, you know, start running around saying, yeah, well, wait a minute. The Supreme Court said that they can trademark this. Yeah, you're right. But that doesn't eliminate a private party's rights to certain things. It's not a violation of your First Amendment rights in a private environment. So a privately held company, you know, your boss, your job, they can tell you don't wear that shirt. If you go into uh, an amusement park, they can tell you don't wear that shirt. Now, they can't tell you in your town as you're walking around the center of town with your shirt on, you, the mayor's not going to come up to you and say, you can't wear that shirt. That would be a violation of your constitutional rights. But it's different because it's public property. It's, it's You're out in the public. If you're in a private environment, that entity, person, employer, if we're talking about work, reserves the right. So it's, it's fascinating um, to see how all of these things sort of are interwoven, but you can pull out separate issues with just this one item. So you can make the brand, you can sell the brand, you can trademark the brand, but you can still be told by a private organization, you can't wear that shirt here. You can't wear it at the workplace. You can't wear it at a theme park, whatever. But, um, you know, it's just, it's interesting. But going back to the main point of the story, which is that now this change in trademark law, we're going to see, I think, a number of different companies who are applying for trademarks with, you know, unique names. I personally don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, doing this. I know that my kids would probably see a shirt that says F-U-C-T and get quite a kick out of it. But, you know, at the same time, I can understand where 
a private company might say, you can't wear that. I could understand where Disney might tell you, you can't wear that shirt because, um, you know, you're here on private property and that shirt could be deemed offensive by other people. So I get it. I get it. I think that, um, you know, the company has a successful victory here. It's changed the way that trademark law is going to be analyzed. Uh, but at the same time, you still have to respect the rights of the private companies, employers, et cetera. So that's all I wanted to talk about today. I think this was an, a, an interesting case, well worth looking at. Um, you know, this is Understanding the Law Radio, UTL Radio for short. And our shows don't always talk about purely legal subjects. They talk about a whole host of things because, you know, the way I view it is it's the law of success. It's the law of personal development. So understanding the law in that broader sense could mean understanding the law of success, understanding the law of successful personal relationships or personal development. But in this case, we're actually going to look at the law. So um, I, I get that question a lot. Why is your show, why is your podcast called Understanding the Law when you don't talk about the law all the time? And my answer to that is just what I told you. First of all, people don't want to hear about the law all the time. Lawyers don't want to hear about the law all the time. No lawyer that I know that's normal, that's not some sort of raving lunatic, goes and spends their Saturdays and Sundays when they don't have to, just sitting there and soaking in and absorbing all the mysteries of the law. Nobody wants to hear about it all the time. So that's why our show is a little bit different. It incorporates a whole host of different law-related topics. The law of success, the law of time management. Um, and, and that's the answer to the question. So you didn't ask, but I've given it to you. Why is the show called Understanding the Law Radio? Because it's the law of a whole bunch of different things. Today's topic happened to be purely legal. So there you have it. Thanks for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please make sure that you tell your family and friends about it and, and subscribe to the show over on iTunes. Have a great day, and I'll be back next time. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Understanding the Law Radio. If you'd like more information about the show, or if you'd like to take advantage of our business and legal self-help resources, including our extensive video library, then visit us online at utlradio.com. You can also find us over on Facebook, Twitter, and on YouTube. Now, if you have any questions about any of the topics that you've heard discussed on today's show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for future shows, please feel free to reach out to me directly at pl at pjlesq.com, or you can call us at 201-904-2211. Please also make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Also, share the information that you receive through this podcast with your family, your friends, and colleagues, and let them know about utlradio.com, your business success and legal information station.